Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Patty, how are you this week? As per usual, I am positively fantastic. We are actually recording this midweek and not first thing on a Sunday morning, which is quite refreshing. Um, because yeah, it feels good. Yeah, I'm actually awake now um, rather than the usual. We're up at like fucking 7 a.m. recording a podcast and I'm like, huh, Gary, what are we talking about? Um, but... Regardless of that, we do actually have a quite interesting episode today, um, or at least I think, and we've been building to it in this whole heart-related, cardiovascular-related series of podcasts we've been doing. Um, And to be honest, I think this episode is, well, I actually think it's somewhat controversial because people like to uh, controversialize things. But I actually don't think this episode is the controversial one. I think it's when you start actually telling people or, you know, recommending or informing people of potential interventions that they could do related to this stuff. Then they're kind of like, huh, hmm, yeah, no, that doesn't fit with my worldview. So uh, go fuck yourself. Um, but I don't think this, this episode will be controversial. Um, or I actually don't think the whole series should be controversial, but it is what it is. And, uh, Quite frankly, I don't care what people think. And I know you don't care what people think either, Gary. So uh, we're going to present the information um, to the best of our ability and to the best of our knowledge. Like we're always in in for any information to the contrary um, that is actually well thought out and not just, well, uh, I read a post on Instagram that said this. Like, uh, sorry, I'm not going to read that. Um, but anyway, Gary, what are we actually talking about today? And then why should people care about this? Mm -hmm. So today we're going to be talking about atherosclerosis. I was given the task of saying that because Patty can't. (laughs) I just can't say it. I'm I'm blaming the dyslexia, but I think I'm actually just stupid because I always say atherosclerosis. Basically, I move that L to the start. It's just completely incorrect. It's atherosclerosis. Um, So if I do say that throughout this episode, it is completely Excuse him. I, I, it's completely because I'm stupid. Yes, yes, yes. So it's it's atherosclerosis, and we're going to be talking about that because uh, basically it's a really important uh, disease process and is going to kill most of us listening to this podcast. So I mean that's a nice. pretty refreshing, refreshing thing to be aware of. Um, great kill streak, like. Yeah, good kill, good kill streak going on. Um, so that's basically why we want to talk about this. And in particular, why we want to discuss this on this podcast is because we speak primarily to personal trainers and people who kind of go to the gym themselves. And, are, you know, they're generally self-managing their training and nutrition decisions. Um, and generally, probably a, a younger audience on average. Um, and generally, we're kind of in that. that pla- would say that our general audience is between the ages of 18 and 54 so take that for what you will that's young 54 just getting into my stride at that point yeah in the context of us living to 150 that is exactly so there you go um so basically like with that in mind a lot of us listening to a lot of the people listening to this podcast and including ourselves patty basically our primary interest is to um slow the development or reduce any risk of uh disease processes or endpoints related to cardiovascular disease like none of us want to die of a heart attack or stroke prematurely so ultimately we want to take care of that and i know that i've said it before and i'll 
probably say it again, but especially for myself and Gary, it would look incredibly bad if either of us had heart disease related incidences, events. So we have to look after our health more than <laughs> everyone else has to look after their health because you run a health-based company and you're unhealthy. Well, you know, it doesn't look good for your image. Yeah, I'm pretty confident I'm going to have cardiovascular disease given the way my, my life is likely to go <laughs> with stress and whatnot. But uh, we won't worry about that too much for now. So anyway, <laughs> uh, with, that as- with that aside, basically, uh, what, one of the things that I think is interesting here is that when, within the, the kind of uh, personal training sphere of the online world, um, a lot of the information that people seek out is generally not not particularly in line with the consensus among people who actually study these things. And what I mean by that is that the people who often speak to personal trainers or that they might come across as kind of a a simply watered down opinion on atherosclerosis and lipids and cholesterol, et cetera. Sometimes what happens is the, the, the narrative that's given is basically like uh, just, Oh, you know, cholesterol is not the problem. You know, here in the fitness industry, just do this with your diet, and that's that's going to be that's going to be fine. You know, you don't have to worry about cholesterol once you're fit or or whatever. And it's real kind of watered down narratives, and and particularly you see that stuff sometimes within the kind of low carb community or functional medicine type sphere. And because the the, the functional medicine type people, and I hate generalizing here, but just to kind of give you an idea of where we're coming from, because that is kind of between actual like healthcare and, and medicine and kind of personal training, that kind of frontline side of things, because it's more likely that people are going to be seeing what they can get online by, you know, some kind of fringe functional medicine person who's speaking in their language of nutrition and exercise versus going to the journal of atherosclerosis, you know, and reading really complex research papers or the European atherosclerosis society, etc. So Which basically just, what I'm just ahead again, to play this kind of devil's advocate is fair enough because, you know, most of the researchers are completely devoid of actual, we'll call it practical experience in terms of they're not actually dealing with real people. And, you know, potentially some of the suggestions that they give aren't real world tested, we'll say that, you know? And also, you know, it might be something that it's fine to say, um, but to actually get people to do it, it's it's not going to happen. Um, And also... Obviously, again, and we've talked about it before, there is this kind of ivory tower um, feeling um, or I call it expression in a lot of these individuals in terms of if someone comes to it and tries to have a conversation about something, looking for more knowledge, they're, they're almost looked down upon and um, the, the words used are not, you know, layman's words, you know, mm-hmm. which is fine. Again, there, this is a medical field or a medical discussion so that has to be taken into account that you're going to have to learn the words of the the field at some stage but um what i'm trying to say is there's a an over academiaization if you will of the topic where people who are actually interested in it and the people that were generally trying to help people just talk past them they talk over them and it's not actually helpful which ultimately what i'm trying to say is that leads to people who are in this kind of frontline, um, you know, battle, if you will, and um, they're like personal trainers and, and you know, people, nutritionists or whatever. It can kind of leave them not able to communicate effectively with the individuals 
in front of them or have messages communicated effectively to them themselves you know because you might be interested in you know health and fitness but you maybe don't have the academic background to be able to go to a journal and actually interpret the, the research effectively because it's not communicated to you in an effective manner in like real world words you know yeah no i completely agree with all that and, and that that that's essentially my point here is that um, it, it makes sense why people would uh, latch on to kind of simpler narratives because it's really difficult to actually access the truth when it comes to stuff because you can go you could go to the HSE website you know and try to get real basic watered down information there but uh, as a as an end user who's interested in let's say uh, training and nutrition and maybe you have advanced knowledge as it relates to those processes. Um, in, in your, in your sphere. So let's say diet for body composition or whatever, when you go onto the HSE website and you see a real watered down advice for heart health, you're like, I wonder, does this actually apply to people like me? And then if you go seek out people like you, sometimes you end up with that kind of information that isn't necessarily all that helpful. So I understand why people uh, do end up at that information. So basically what I'm saying is the purpose on that before you go just ahead. do that, this is the, the biggest issue with nutrition advice and health advice basically you're talking to multiple populations at once and the advice you give to one population isn't necessarily the advice you give to another population. And this will become extraordinarily apparent um, when we actually discuss the next episode, which is hopefully to be, or rather likely to be uh, nutritional interventions with this kind of stuff and lifestyle to an extent. What you'll see is people discuss it without the context uh, of other things that like people talk about saturated fat but they won't talk about the context of you know exercise patterns or you know uh, inflammatory or anti-inflammatory we'll call it lifestyle patterns or fiber intake or you know there's all these things that it's not just one thing that you look after it's all these multiple things and people will discuss atherosclerosis and in in the context of like we discussed in the last podcast you know let's just focus on one singular thing because we'll just this is the one singular thing we're going to pin everything on when in reality you have to do everything and this this again is something that like personal trainers and nutritionists and you know the the general we'll say physique orientated people you know propagate like oh it doesn't matter but again, it might not matter to them because they're already doing all these other healthful habits that are, you know, we'll call it cardio protective. And as a result, they don't need to worry as much as someone who is just not doing all those other habits because they're a general population person and, and you're a, a basically a quasi or semi-professional athlete as a you know personal trainer, you know? Yep. But as a personal trainer, even if you are fit, this stuff can still uh, come and bite you for sure. So you do have to, to be aware of that too. So with all that said, guys, atherosclerosis, what are we asking? Well, let's get stuck in. So atherosclerosis, firstly, like look at the term, look at the word you're talking about. Anytime you're talking about anything medical um, or anatomical or physiological, you can generally get a lot from the word itself. And the word itself um, basically is derived from atheroma because that's what we're, get, we're getting developed. And atheroma is basically the plaque, so the buildup of a plaque within the artery and sclerosis basically relates to hardening or stiffening. So what is essentially happening here is that we're getting the buildup of a plaque within the arterial wall, and this leads to stiffening of the arteries. So what I'd like you to remember here, guys, is to think back to, you know, the episodes we recorded on blood pressure and recall that we said that blood vessels 
in arteries, uh, arteries in particular, because they have a bit more going on, um, they're a living system. Okay. And what that means is that not only do they produce their own signaling molecules and change their tension and their muscle tension, much like our muscles in our arms and stuff, but they also respond to mechanical and chemical signals that are given to them by the blood. Okay. So what happens here as we begin to develop this plaque is the, firstly, the main areas that we get these development of the plaques uh, of atherosclerosis, it tends to be in areas where we have turbulent blood flow. And what I like to think about turbulent, the way I think about turbulent blood flow is when you're going down a water slide, you know, uh, you're, you're, when you're going down the straight part of the water slide, you're going down super fast. Yeah, you're going super fast, but it doesn't feel like, uh, you know, it just feels like a thrill. It's, it's good crack. You're going in a straight line. All the water's flowing with you. Whereas once you hit that corner, you're thrown up around the corner of the water slide. The water's going everywhere. You're flipped onto your tummy. You're screaming. You're smacking your head, whatever. And this is essentially what happens at areas within the arteries where we have uh, potentially one artery splitting into two, you know, such as the carotid arteries that go up your neck into your brain. They split into the internal and external carotids. So that's a, a bifurcation point. So at areas where you have bifurcation points, you can get the development of atherosclerosis there because you get a bit of turbulent blood flow. It can also happen at areas where you have a big turn. So like we were saying, you know, the water slide kind of analogy, when we talked about the heart, we said that the blood that's pumped out of the left ventricle, the really strong part of the heart that goes out the aorta, really, really big um, artery at the top of the heart. And that takes a big, massive turn as it comes up out of the heart and down towards uh, the lower body uh, through the abdomen. So basically that big turn, again, that's a site where we can start to develop uh, atherosclerosis. Um, also in the coronary arteries, uh, they're basically the arteries that are responsible for supplying the heart itself with blood. So the heart is quite nice to itself in that as it needs to work harder, it pumps more blood into its own blood vessels to support all the muscles that are required for the heart to be working properly. Okay. So there's some of the kind of main areas and there's other areas, of course, but they're the main ones um, just, just, just for the moment anyway, at least. So at those areas where you start to get this, this turbulent flow, um, remember, blood vessels are a living system. And what can happen is that they can actually get quite stressed in response to that turbulent flow. So, you know, like the edge of the water slide, you know, the edge of the water slide, you might see some of the paint has been taken off that corner because it's constantly being hit, you know, with higher forces from the water or the person that's coming around the corner. And essentially what then happens is that those parts of the blood vessel become a little bit more permeable to substances. Okay. And one of the, the main things that we're kind of concerned with there are basically atherogenic lipoproteins. And what that means, again, think about the words, athero, atheroma, talking about the plaque, genic, basically making, so making those plaques. So they're atherogenic properties, and these are lipoproteins. And lipoproteins are essentially what people are talking about when they generally say cholesterol. You know, it's not the same thing, but when people say good and bad cholesterol, they're generally talking about lipoproteins because lipo basically relates to lipids, um, which you can just think about for now as fat um, and proteins, obviously a protein made of amino acids. So those lipoproteins are basically like boats that are running around in your blood um, carrying basically different types of passengers, such as triglycerides and cholesterol and other molecules as well. Okay. So they're basically uh, protein and lipid compounds that are floating around in the blood. 
And what can happen is that certain types of lipoproteins, which we'll get into more detail later once we understand the basic disease process, certain types of them can basically be deposited then within, within those areas of increased permeability within the arterial wall. And as that happens, you know, that can be somewhat physiological in that, you know, the, the lipoprotein gets deposited within there. Um, and it can kind of come out again, you know, and it's fine. It gets taken care of. It gets cleaned up. They come back out. And the way I like to think about this analogy in terms of uh, entering the arterial wall is basically a bit like a, 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 a mouth of a harbor. Okay. So the harbor itself is really large, but the entry point is quite small. Okay. And basically what can happen is when you get one boat going into the harbor, it's fine. It can go in, it can turn around. Passengers can get off. There's lots of room for turning and everything like that. And it can leave again. You know, that's fine. However, as you get more and more boats entering into the harbor, okay, so there's a lot of traffic on a given day, what ends up happening is that the boats are no longer really able to leave, okay, because, you know, you, you have one boat coming in, and then there's three boats trying to come out, and there's six boats that are behind them, and basically what happens is, because the boats are so large, it's really difficult for them to turn, and they can't really get back out, so you basically get this sort of... Uh, congestion that's taking place uh, within there, okay? And as that begins to happen, you've more and more boats building up. So what you get is you get this buildup of this, uh, this plaque, this kind of uh, yellowy fatty structure underneath the arterial wall of all these LDL uh, lipoproteins that are basically starting to accumulate. Um, and basically what happens then is you basically get a, a monocytes, which are basically, uh, if you've heard of macrophages, they're an inflammatory cell and they're called monocytes when they're floating around in the blood. When they enter then into the arterial wall, they're called macrophages. Um, and basically they could be just doing their job just fine uh, normally in terms of, right, one LDL comes in, they're trying to take care of it um, and that's fine. They're resolving the problem. However, they can basically become a little bit more uh, brutal in nature, you know? So if, the, if you've got a lot of LDL that's coming in there and um, you get more and more macrophages and you've got an overall inflammatory environment, that becomes increasingly pathological. So basically the more congestion you have and the more of these macrophages you have, um, the more this becomes a, a problematic situation, you could say. Okay, so basically what can happen then is when you've got all this congestion that's going on, right, there's starting to be a bit of trouble within there. So the internal police, those macrophages, you know, they're trying to take care of the situation. There's people on the beach now. There's trouble starting to break out. The pubs are getting too full and everything um, in this harbor that we're in. And basically what they decide to do is, okay, we need to contain the situation. And the situation is contained by putting a sandbank across the mouth of the harbor. So now we're kind of blocking off the harbor. So, we, you know, we're creating this structure. And what can happen then? And, and just to leave, leave the harbor for a second, remind yourselves what we're talking about. That sandbank that basically takes place is over this kind of fatty structure that we're starting to develop within the arterial wall, you basically get this kind of fibrous cap. So you basically get a roof that's put on top of it that's created from you know additional smooth muscle cells that are migrating and pro proliferating. And you also get connective tissue and that basically covers over this structure. So depending on the composition, structure, you're going to have, you know, various levels of, of susceptibility to, to rupture, for example. So what can happen is that if you've got a, a break in the sandbank, you've got a break in the, the fibrous cap on top of that plaque, 
what can happen then is the military police are now coming from outside um, in the actual sea itself. And they're seeing what's going on inside. And then they call in their boils to help. And now you've got a seriously explosive situation. And basically what that is in, in the body is the development of a thrombus. Because what happens is once the plaque ruptures, you get basically platelets and other clotting factors within the blood that start to build up a blood clot on top of the plaque that you've already got. And if you think about what this looks like in a blood vessel, guys, you've got right this little lump uh, of, of plaque that's protruding into the vessel wall um, within the blood vessel. And then you also get this additional thrombus. So this blood clot that's developing on top of that, you can see that there would be significant narrowing of that vessel. And that means that you're getting even further reductions in blood flow to the tissue of interest. So that could be the heart is the easiest example. So if you've got someone who has uh, angina, for example, that's basically pain in the chest in response to insufficient blood flow for the work that they're doing. Uh, they can basically have that as a result of a not, not enough blood being able to get there. And that's okay when it's stable. You know, if someone has stable angina, it's like, you know, they take their their medication or they stop the activity and it gets better. However, what can happen, and this is the real risk that we're concerned with and why we should all be thinking about this stuff, is that if that clot dislodges, then what it does is it travels down the blood vessel and it basically meets a point where it's going to block it completely. So that's what happens when you get something like a heart attack or a stroke where that clot can dislodge and basically stop uh, blood flow completely in one of those vessels. And that can lead to a heart attack and potentially death. So that's why this process is important to consider. And while I gave a very quick overview of, of basically how that takes place, what I'd like you to realize is that not only is this a, a case of lifetime exposure and lifetime risk, so this thing is developing across the lifetime, it's also susceptible to regression in that you can, you know, let's say you improve your lifestyle or you take a certain medication or whatever, the process can basically regress. Um, or alternatively, if it's just, if it's go, as it goes too far, um, the, basically the more the disease progresses, the less chance there is that it's going to be able to regress properly because it becomes increasingly pathological the further it goes on. And again, just think of that in terms of, you know, the boats, you know, if you get, if you just get a certain amount of boats within the harbor, it's like, fine, okay, we can kind of clear that out. But if it's the case that you get so many boats in there that everyone's starting to cause trouble and, you know, the pubs are overflowed and the police have to come and the military police are coming, there's less of a chance of you then resolving um, that problem. Um, and hence, you can see why this disease process uh, can lead to these types of events and can become quite a significant burden of disease as you age. Yeah, right. Two things on that. First of all, the military police would never come. It would just be the military. Um, <laughs> so if you could never say something like that again. That would be great. But secondly, I actually think the... Depends uh, on the context. <laughs> no, it does not depend on the context. Um, anyway... Uh, going back to the actual thing, I think the uh, the the water slide is a, a really good one. Like you could talk about a, a river flowing as well, and you know the uh, on the bank, the you know the turbulent flow, you yeah. know, eroding the bank of the river. Again, that's a good exactly. analogy. I kind of like the uh, the uh, water slide one because ultimately, what we care about or the stuff that we care about is not the actual deposition of the plaque. Like obviously, it is right, but it's what we can do about that plaque deposition you know like we can't fix the the the, the cause in, in terms of people are going down the slide 
you know, it, it, it's running, you know, it, it continually goes, right? That's our blood, right? You can't, you can't exactly go like, all right, I'm just going to stop my blood flow to uh, my brain while I uh, deal with this. You can't stop it, right? So I actually don't care too much about the uh, initial insult to the arterial wall, right? I'm just like, that's kind of a natural part of life, right? But using that water slide analogy, the way I kind of conceptualize it is, if the water slide park is run well, right? The, the people who own the, the water slide park, they're really looking after it. They're you know, paying their workers uh, a decent wage. They're ensuring you know, flyers go out and you know, people are coming to the, the park. And you know, overall, it's being run like a, a very effective business, right? And, and that's the stuff that you can look after. And we'll, we'll come back to that in more of the applicable stuff, right? But if, this, if the park isn't doing well, right? So you're engaging in poor lifestyle habits and poor lifestyle practices, dietary practices, etc. Um, or again, in this context, the, the park is not managing their finances well. They're, they're not, you know, actively looking to get, you know, more clients in or whatever. And um, they don't have the resources to effectively deal with this uh, water slide when stuff starts going wrong, right? So you can imagine, again, we've got this turbulent flow. We've got kids going down this water slide all day, right? And all of a sudden this, this slight wearing starts to happen on the water slide, right? So because they're not managing the, the, the overall economics of the business well, they don't have the money to you know, effectively deal with this, right? So instead of actually, you know, again, effectively dealing with this, like you would hope they, they would, um, which again, we would call it that the, the healthy individual they're able to deal with this because they have the finances to do it it's like okay this is a, a normal everyday thing you know there, there's going to be turbulent flow in your blood vessels and um, in your arteries etc and we have to have a process to deal with this in, in a normal manner which again the, the body has a normal manner of dealing with this, a healthy manner of dealing with this right but again in this context of the poorly managed uh, water slide park they're like mm, we don't really have the, the resources to deal with this uh, slight breaking of the, the water slide. Like obviously all these kids are going by, the water is going by, and you know, we're getting this slight uh, uh, wearing of the, the side of the water slide where the, you know, there's a loop or whatever. And they just go, right, you know what we're gonna do? We're just gonna pay a, a plasterer to uh, bang a load of plaster down there, right? And uh, we're just gonna pay some you know, guy to, I don't know, spray some fiberglass on top of that. Right, and that's it. That they've dealt with it. They just slap a little bit of paint over it as well. Then, right? So it's a, a pretty shoddy job. These are just two random people that they hired. These aren't like you know, um, water slide manufacturers or water slide approved um, tradesmen or whatever. You know, they're just I'm a random plasterer and I'm a random like I do fiberglass on boats. You know, and I'm just like yeah, we'll just you hit us up with that. Do a little mixer for us. You know, just sort of say, you know, and they do that and it's fine. It works, you know, it gets the job done. Kids can keep going down the slide, right? But that starts to wear again. So they're like, all right, we're gonna have to, you know, patch up a little bit more and patch up a little bit more. And all of a sudden the kids are hardly able to even get past this, this patch that they've created. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the potential for further issues down the road, it, it, it increases, you know? And, and in this context, in the context of uh, the, 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 atherosclerosis like you can obviously see the, the parallels in terms of you've built this kind of fatty plaque and you've put these fucking fibers on top of it and you know the blood is hardly able to get through like again you can call it the, the narrowing of, of the arteries like 
there's going to be downstream effects from that, right? So you don't want to be the, the poorly managed water park. You want to be the well-managed water park, right? So as I was saying at the start, I don't really care about the actual plaque deposition. I want to know how to run the business so that I can do all the things that allow me to actually effectively deal with situations where you know plaque is starting to develop. Because like Gary was saying here a second ago, um, you, you can kind of be in a situation where you think, ah, this doesn't really matter. I'm only, I'm only 20, you know, I'm 25. Like me personally, I'm 28. Gary, I can't even remember what age you're 25. Um, 25. You know, like you kind of, two of us could just be like, yeah, it's irrelevant for us. Who cares? You know, we're young, you know? Um, but plaque deposition is happening all the time. Um, in, even in kids, Gary was telling me beforehand, like it's been seen in kids, you know? And um, like generally they always say the second decade of life. Um, and from then on, you know, again, it depends on how you run the business. Um, but that means that we have to be worried about it. I would say worried about it. We have to be aware of it. We have to be aware of the modifiable causative risk factors or whatever you want to think of them and the stuff that we have control over so that we actually do stay healthy for a longer period of time. But I do want to, again, just reiterate what Gary said there, like intervention can happen at any stage. You know, you can regress the, the, the situation, obviously up to a point, you know, like if, if you go past a certain point, again, I can arbitrarily define it. It's like this much plaque accu uh, accumulation in this many uh, parts in the body or whatever, like you, you could arbitrarily define it, but there is going to be a point of no return. So obviously we want to intervene before that, you know, or you're going to have to intervene with more aggressive uh, methods like, you know, surgery or, you know, even like medical pharmacological interventions and that kind of stuff. Like obviously that's outside of our wheelhouse. Um, but there are obviously interventions that you can do if there is, you know, a, a reason to do that. But obviously that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the other stuff that we do have control over. Does that all make sense, Gary? Yep, absolutely. So with that in mind, I basically said that there were atherogenic lipoproteins and I basically didn't say much else about that. I said that they were boats um, and they're pretty much boats. You know, it's a fairly, fairly sound way of thinking about it. Uh, but the thing... But the, yeah, the thing is, the boats are, serve kind of uh, different, different purposes. Okay, so the way people generally kind of th think about cholesterol is they think of good and bad cholesterol, and that's kind of all they think about. And very often, I think the way it, the, those terms are used, it often sounds like you're just getting good or bad cholesterol from certain foods and that like that's just a fixed thing whereas that's not necessarily uh, the case or that's just not the case at all really um, basically what you're talking about when you're talking about the the kind of good and bad classification is the capacity of the lipoproteins so the boats themselves to be atherogenic so to develop um, basically the the plaques and primarily like so i said i said they were lipoproteins and basically by virtue of being lipoproteins the the proteins uh, vary between these different uh, these different bolts okay so they've basically got different different sails on them and the depending on the sail that they have on the boat there's basically you know basically whether or not they'll be able to go into the the, the harbor um, and how likely they are to be uh, in trouble when they do enter the harbor. And basically that the ApoB containing lipoprotein. So that's just a type of uh, a type of protein. It's called an, an apolipoprotein. Um, the, the B one, 
that's basically if that's if that's on the boat, uh, it's more likely that they're going to be troublesome. Okay, so they are the. Way I conceptualize this is probably more akin to the Irish going anywhere else in the world and just (laughs) causing trouble. And so ApoB, ApoB, are basically Irish people abroad. Yep, I'm in for that. Okay, I'm I'm good with that. Okay, so the the Irish people abroad, um, they come still in in different shapes and sizes. In that, you know, Paddy's six foot five and seventy four kilos, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm just about four kilos, Jack. I'm just about six foot at at fifty nine kilos. I'm not gonna bump out to that sixty. <laughs> but basically, the point being that you know we still come in different shapes and sizes, and very often, like you'll hear the term density thrown around with respect to these lipoproteins and you can think of density very simply and it's basically just trying to see how much protein and how much fat uh, is contained uh, within this within this lipoprotein and you can think about that in terms of body composition so if you've got a, a bodybuilder who's really really lean you know and they've got very little body fat and they're quite dense however if you've got someone who is obese with low levels of muscle mass they're not particularly dense okay so they've got a higher level um, of body fat and that is kind of the same when it comes to these lipoproteins so you can have lipoproteins or boats that contain um, basically loads and loads and loads of cargo so they're carrying lots and lots of triglycerides um, so that could be the like the chylomicrons um, which are carrying around all the triglycerides based that are coming in through the diet, um, they're initially very, very large and very low in density because they've got lots of lipids. However, when you get like a HDL molecule, a high-density lipoprotein, that's basically more so composed of protein and less so of lipids. So basically what happens normally is that, you know, you're, you get these VLDLs, very low-density lipoproteins. They're basically produced from the liver. And as they kind of go around your body, transporting um lipids triglycerides to where they need to be used so let's say they get to the mo- they get to the to to your muscles um, and they hand off a bit of a bit of fat for your muscles to use as you're exercising they break down to intermediate density lipoproteins and then low density lipoproteins so essentially all these molecules they have apoB on them and they can um, be atherogenic um, they're atherogenic to different uh, different levels but essentially you don't need to you don't need to think of it as like LDL is one specific thing and is divorced from everything else. Rather, you just think of these these um, ships and boats as they're all able to carry cargo and they all carry uh, cargo to different degrees. Okay, um, but once they have that ApoB, so they're Irish um, abroad, they have the potential to cause trouble. So that's the way uh, I like to think about those atherogenic lipoproteins. Do you have anything to add there, Patty? One hundred percent. That's a great way of thinking about it. And again, you could uh, you could think of it very very simply in terms of the difference between LDL and HDL. Like I know they always, whenever you read some generic, like, oh, this is how it does it. You can think of like HDL as going away from the site and LDL going towards the site, you know? So again, like you think of the the harbor analogy, it's like the HDL ones are the ones that are trying to get out of the harbor. They're like, yeah, I'm I'm leaving, you know? Um, Whereas the LDL ones are the ones that are coming in. Yeah, and the, H- the H- HDL is, is kind of controversial to discuss in that, um, not that people have controversial opinions about it, but it's kind of one of those things where uh, the thinking has kind of changed a lot in relation to HDL. So in, in the past, you know, people will just have called HDL good cholesterol, and it's kind of simple as that. And as a result, people very often try to uh, justify different dietary interventions and stuff like that by saying, you know, oh, it's fine because it just increases the good cholesterol. However, while HDL is involved, 
um, in, you know, good beneficial processes in terms of, you know, bringing cholesterol back from the peripheries, like you said, Patty, um, it's not so clear that having more is necessarily better or that we can just, you know, it's not like you can just take a drug that increases HDL and that reduces your risk because like basically that has been tried and the drugs that have been, uh, have attempted to increase HDL um, basically haven't been very promising. And essentially it seems like, you know, it's just not as simple as was initially thought. So what I would say there is if you see someone speaking very confidently about the role of HDL, including us, just be a little bit skeptical because most of the researchers are kind of like, we're not actually sure. It's definitely a lot more complicated than we thought. Um, but, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely not uh, something that we're thinking, okay, this is now bad cholesterol. That's, that's not the way to think about it. Um, so, yeah, just remember the good and bad classification. It's oversimplified, uh, but it kind of uh, has its uses in some sense. So in summary, it's those kind of ApoB-containing um, lipoproteins that are the main ones that are going to confer the risk uh, for cardiovascular disease. Um, and that's essentially why you'll see uh, a gross measurement on something like a, a lipid panel. So if you were to go to your doctor and you were to get a measurement um, of, of your blood lipids, it might say something like non-HDL cholesterol, because it's trying to give you an, an, an idea of how much cholesterol is contained on those lipoproteins uh, that are not HDL. Um, so basically the ones that are going to be able to be related, but it's not always that simple either. And, and like more modern approaches, more advanced lipid panels might try to give you an actual ApoB measurement itself. Um, so there's lots, of, there's lots of complexity there in terms of breaking down LPL or LDLP and LDLC and, you know, ApoB measurements. And then there's further subclassifications of, of LDL in terms of um, lipoprotein little a, um, LP little a. Um, and basically the point there being that when you get into the actual lipidology stuff and measuring all this stuff, it gets further complicated. Um, but again, I, I don't think that's helpful for anyone listening to this podcast, really, um, unless you're a doctor. Again, this is for personal trainers and people who are uh, trying to trying to put some some effort into to reducing cardiovascular risk long term. So, so that's the basic overview of the, the kind of uh, lipoprotein stuff. Yeah. Now, before we move on, can we do anything about that APOP? Is that just, can you do is it just genetic? Is it modifiable? Well, both, <laughs> both essentially. Like if you, like you can reduce your, your LDL cholesterol and your, and your, your risk. Absolutely. Um, as a result of uh, dietary interventions, as a result of drug interventions, as a result of lifestyle in general. So absolutely, you know, these things can, uh, these things can and are um, modifiable for sure. And, and one more thing to say about that is that, on, in terms of um, the the cholesterol itself, like you know, sometimes people will make this case that uh, basically, you know, cholesterol is uh, essential for health, so we need more cholesterol. You know, because you can you can make a you can make the case that all right, we need cholesterol for, for example, the the production of uh, steroid hormones, and you need cholesterol for uh, your cell membranes and these types of things. And of, and of course, that is important. But one of the things to realize is that cholesterol itself can be created within the body, so the body has the capacity to create its own cholesterol. And one of the things to be wary of in general, I think, when you're talking about physiology, is that people can extrapolate from mechanisms and carry it over into like an intervention, which doesn't always work. Like you can't just say that because we need cholesterol for certain functions that you need to eat lots and lots of cholesterol. Like that's kind of the, the mistake some people make when talking about things like, uh, 
omega-3 fatty acids, for example, it's like, oh, there's essential or there's omega-3 fatty acids, or there's, if you're talking about essential fatty acids, there's essential fatty acids. We need to uh, consume so many of them. Whereas when you actually look at the needs, it's like, oh, it's still actually really low. So just because dietary fat is important, it doesn't mean I need 200 grams of dietary fat or just because cholesterol is important for physiological function. It doesn't mean that you need to do things to, to increase your cholesterol because essentially there's, there's normal homeostatic control where your body can one increase and make its own cholesterol if it needs to. Um, but it's also the case uh, that your body is pretty good at getting rid of cholesterol in a lot of cases. So normally uh, where you've got this kind of LDL bringing cholesterol around the body that can basically be in, internalized and the cholesterol can be gotten rid of in the form of uh, bile acids. Uh, so that's how we generally get rid of cholesterol from the body. And that, that tends to uh, be why things like uh, dietary fiber are quite helpful for, for reducing cholesterol. So the only thing I wanted to bring up there, because that's, it's more sort of nutrition side of things, which we'll discuss next week, but just realize that don't fall into the trap of thinking just because something is important for physiological function that you need to try and maximize it. You know, it's, it's not a target. The only reason I brought up the, or asked about the ApoB was purely because you see there is a genetic component to all of this and people, oh, absolutely. Will people will basically be like ah you have apob related genes here here and here and uh yeah you can't do anything about that you're fucked see you later you know and it's like this there's there, you're not fucked there's still stuff that you can do right and um, so i just wanted to you know put that out there right so the next thing before we just touch on a few other things i just wanted to touch on a few different uh related diseases because this can, again, seem very abstract in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, oh, uh, I don't need to focus on this stuff. It's, I'm not going to have a heart attack. I'm not going to have, you know, whatever. Like, that's not me, you know? First of all, again, I just touched on it there. There is obviously genetic component to all of this. And you could still do all of the interventions and maximize your lifestyle. Again, in that con- the, the analogy we used, you could be running your water slide park perfectly you're doing everything right but then the the coronavirus hits and you know you go out of business as a result of that you know and so it's the same with that you know there unfortunately is a genetic component to this there are events that happen and you know yeah there are generally modifiable things but for example stress is is in this whole you know pathway of modifiable stuff that we have you know somewhat control over but that's in some cases out of your control so you could have an extremely stressy stressful life because of a lot of stuff that's just completely out of your control and as a result you know your heart disease risk just goes up you know so to an extent you just have to look after what you can look after and keep this stuff at the forefront of your mind when you are making you know longer term health decisions but anyway i just wanted to touch on a few diseases that uh we should be aware of that are related to atherosclerosis and because again if you think of it it is the the blood supply around our body so obviously again like you think like how is blood getting around the body you know with your blood and so uh or sorry with your arteries so if there's an issue with your arteries we're going to run into issues so um actually just on that as well it is important just to reiterate that like Gary said, there are sites within the body that are, or that atherosclerosis or plaque development is more likely, right? Because even in my head, I used to think as well, like, it's like, this just happens anywhere. How do they even screen for this stuff? Like, you know, how do they know where to check for it? Like you've, you've loads of blood vessels, loads of arteries. Like there's so many, you know, places they could be, but there are more likely sites to encounter this stuff. And there's also, I don't know if this is, 
technically correct, but there are more uh, negative sites to have this stuff develop. You know, like if you have something that is beside your heart, you know, that potentially is not as great as having something that's in a peripheral tissue somewhere away, away from, you know, vital organs. <laughs> um, but anyway. Better to lose a better to lose a foot than lose your heart. Like, you know, I mean, exactly. It's, it's or your brain, you know? um, <laughs> yeah. So obviously, again, like it, it can develop anywhere, but there are more likely sites. But anyway, that's a that's an aside. I just wanted to touch on a few different things. Obviously, ischemic heart disease. That is something that. This is pretty much what we're talking about here. Uh, coronary heart disease. Um, there's a few other ones here. Carotid artery disease, peripheral artery disease. You know, we can get chronic kidney disease. Um, let me just think, I have a few more here as well. Uh, um, there are a load of other ones. I thought I had a few more notes with this, but there are some other ones that are related. That, that, to that. does cover most of it, yeah. Um, so it's not just like obviously like blood pressure is also affected by this stuff and um, which is also because you can affect blood pressure like it's one of those things where it's like it, it, it both things happen yeah absolutely on, on either side of it you know you can get changes in your blood pressure because of atherosclerosis and you can get atherosclerosis related events because of your higher blood pressure so it's 100%. it's on, on both sides of that and um, but i just wanted people to be aware that this isn't just something like obviously like stroke and stuff it, it all plays into it and um, so there are other diseases and it's not just like oh this is we're just talking about heart attacks you know people seem to think about like plaque development or you know plaque deposition it's like heart attacks that's all you have to be looking out for it's like oh, i'm never going to get a heart attack no one in my family ever got a heart attack so it's not going to be for me you know and um, which is just not the the case right so there are other diseases which you might not be aware are related to this right gary so i just want to is there anything else just in terms of the we'll call it the more mechanistic stuff that you want to touch on because i just want to finish this up to an extent on just noting a few of the kind of risk factors or you know stuff that plays into this because i think it helps inform the the further conversations we want to have around you know diet nutrition as a whole lifestyle like modifiable things and potentially even exercise and stuff as well is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of the the mechanistic stuff uh the only the only thing i wanted to add is that one of the things that that happens when you come across these types of uh discussions is that you you can read a lot of kind of uh contrary opinions related to like the whether or not uh, ldl plays a causal role for example and it's often in this in what's called like what i would call false equivalence where people will claim that there's these unanswered questions like but what about this situation and the reality is that most of the the vast majority of these nuances have been addressed and there are far more nuances to that that i've that we've discussed in this podcast, you know, there's specific phenotypes depend, like you can have specific lipid panels that are associated with certain types of diseases like metabolic disease and type two diabetes. And these, these, uh, lipoproteins can remodel, um, et cetera. And there's lots of, there's lots of different, uh, research papers that are dedicated to answering these specific nuanced questions. So what I would say is that 
if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I actually read something to the contrary, then what I'll actually do is if you're in the triage method community, um, or if you're not, uh, just join the triage method community on Facebook. That's our Facebook group. And I'll actually link in additional papers for anyone that wants more information about like the nuanced stuff, the details, um, the, all the evidence that we have for LDL's role um, in this process. And I think that'll give you a much better idea. There's also a lot of really good papers that have visuals because one of the things me and Patty were talking about before we started the podcast is that understanding atherosclerosis is pretty difficult um, without images. And, and a lot of the best lipidologists um, and, and, and people who are interested in this stuff, like Dr. Uh, Thomas Dayspring, one of the things he dedicated his career to was basically coming up with all these illustrations so that doctors could try to understand this stuff. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, God, this stuff seems a bit kind of uh, esoteric. That's why we're it's, even speaking in analogies. So yeah, it just makes so much more sense uh, because it is complicated. So I'll include stuff like that in the Facebook group for you guys to go in and read and some videos and stuff like that. So one, if you're in the group, uh, you when you listen to this podcast, it'll probably be in there. Um, and if you're not in the group, join the group. Very simple. Easy. And um, we also do plan on writing about a 20 article series on this stuff 100 <laughs> eventually but we have about 400 articles before we get to that and um, yes. so it'll, it'll come but uh, it's it's not the priority for what we have going on anyway but anyway look that's irrelevant and um, i just wanted to touch on some of the, the major risk factors and um, again some of these are modifiable some of them are non-modifiable unless well if you have a modifiable way for doing this i actually want to know because that'd be pretty cool the one that i'm talking about with that relation to that is you know a risk factor is just older age so you can't really yeah. prevent that and um, but if, if you can you know just get in touch um, and that'd be pretty cool and um, same with family history of heart disease you know again there's not there's not much you can really do about that unless maybe find out that you're adopted maybe maybe that might help um, but other than that, if you have a family history of heart disease, it is something that you should be way more aware of. And this is also one of the things that, especially in a modern age, you know, we kind of just forget stuff uh, related to our own family history. And um, like people would be like, oh yeah, like my, my granddad died and stuff. Um, he just died of old age. And it's like, yeah, he had four heart attacks across his life. Like, yeah, okay, he didn't die of uh, a cardiovascular related event, but it's like, you still have heart disease in your family, you know, just because they didn't die of that thing, you know? And so it is something to be aware of. Um, you know, just actually asking your family, you might not even be aware. You might just be like maybe your grandparents or, you know, grand aunts and uncles or even aunts and uncles or whatever, or parents even, you know, died when you were much younger and you just, you know, didn't really ask much. Or you didn't delve much into it and we didn't delve deeper into it. You should have a pretty good idea in terms of like your, your family history, in terms of what people are dying from, you know, um, and like obviously old age is one thing that people die of, and um, but you should still be aware of like, oh, I didn't actually realize that my my grandmother was on this this and this medication to manage her heart disease, you know, like just ask a little bit deeper because people kind of gloss over that stuff, and it actually does inform a, a lot of stuff that you should be aware of in terms of managing your own heart disease risk. Like if there's a lot of diabetes in your family, if there's a lot of, you know, cardiovascular uh, disease events in your family, you know, that's something you should be aware of. The same with like, we'll call them mental health illnesses and um, where you're just like, there's schizophrenia in your family or something. It's like, again, that's something that you should just be aware of, you know, again, it might not be modifiable, but it does mean that you have to look after the other stuff a little bit more. But anyway, that's just two of the things. First of all, 
Um, I'll just go through a few of them here. Unhealthy blood cholesterol levels. We've touched on that to an extent. We will actually be touching on that a, a little bit more, especially as it relates to diet, because like, again, like you're, you're not thinking of like blood cholesterol levels. Like that's not something that you can just look at your watch and be like, my blood cholesterol level is five. You know, like that's, it, it's a little bit more esoteric for the average person. Um, and as we said, it is, it is quite complex as you start getting into it high blood pressure, that's a risk factor. And we've obviously done the, the blood pressure uh, episodes already. So if you haven't, go back and listen to those. Um, but that is something um, you do need to be aware of. Diabetes is another one. Um, so again, something to be aware of. And again, we will talk more about these when we actually dig into like the nutrition stuff and the actual lifestyle, etc. I just want to mention them here so that people have a good understanding. They can kind of come back to this and be like, Mm, yeah what are the you know risk factors that i need to just be aware of or potentially research a little bit more myself if i am thinking that heart disease is something that i need to be aware of because ultimately like and before i get into the rest of them ultimately like you don't as an individual even as a personal trainer as a coach as a layperson, you don't need to know that the mechanism of you know, plaque accumulation or anything like that, you know? Yeah, it's cool. We needed to touch on it. We needed to cover it just so we're all on the same page about what's actually occurring, you know? And again, if you are you know, in the medical field or you are, you know, a scientist or whatever, 100%, you need to have very in-depth knowledge of this, right? But if you're just trying to like, I just want to have better health, you know? You don't need to have extremely in-depth knowledge of this. However, you do need to be aware of the risk factors that potentially put you in a worse position in regard to actually having heart disease related events. <clears throat> so while we did do this episode, the further episodes and eventually that fucking 20 part article series um, is, is going to be more important to you as an individual. And um, so as I was saying, diabetes is a risk factor. And um, <clears throat> Chronic kidney disease is also a risk factor. It's down here. That's a little bit more complex because again, it's in that one of those where it's like you can have chronic kidney disease because you have atherosclerosis, but also it plays around the opposite way as well. But anyway, that's a that's another thing. Again, it goes into the high blood pressure stuff as well. So again, it, there's it's multifactorial. Uh, yeah. Smoking that's again something that's easily modifiable. Uh, and again, we'll see this. Man. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is also one of the ones that you'll see actually confounds a lot of research in terms of you'll have some populations reduce smoking and they'll have better health outcomes, even though they didn't, you know, say you compare populations and one of them kept their saturated fat the same and, you know, changed their smoking habits, whereas the other population uh, changed their, uh, saturated fat intake but didn't change their smoking habits and people be like well see look this smoking is more important or saturated fat is more important again it's a multifactorial disease like we're not just focusing on one root cause that's again why we did that that previous episode right um because you will see that people talk about like the the british versus the finnish which had like two different kind of i'm going to say interventions changes over time in terms of lifestyle and dietary patterns but anyway that's for a further episode um uh, insulin resistance is another one again related to an extent to the, the diabetes story um, and related to the next one which is um i'll call it over fatness or obesity and um, whatever the correct term you want to apply to that we all know what we're talking about here and um, a lack of exercise, a lack of, I should say, physical activity it doesn't have to be actual formalized exercise because it could be, you know, just getting enough daily steps 
per day. Like it doesn't have to be organized activity. You could just be a physically active person. You know, maybe you work on a building site or you're a farmer or, you know, just being physically active doesn't, it doesn't have to be formalized um, exercise. And then what you all, just to finish this out, what you will also see often in the, the research as well um, on this, well, I shouldn't say the research, um, the, the communication on this, people will just talk about an unhealthy diet, right? Which that's like, it's very hard to, <laughs> to suggest like, what is an unhealthy diet? You know, because a healthy diet for some individuals is completely different than a healthy diet for other individuals. And I don't just mean in terms of the inter-individual variability in terms of how you respond to a diet. I just mean how you actually think of what a healthy diet means. Like perhaps I say healthy diet and you think vegan diet. Perhaps I say healthy diet and you think carnivore diet. You know, like there's obviously multiple dietary interventions and depending on your, you know, culture, socioeconomics, all that kind of stuff, you know, everything that goes into form in informing uh, your opinions about diet, like a healthy diet is a different thing for different individuals, right? Um, but we will actually be getting a little bit more in depth on this in the in the next episode and um, just so we can actually cover because there's a few big hitters that you can just be like right when we're talking about a healthy diet in relation to heart disease these are the big things that we need to be aware of you know and some of them like we've said is your uh, dietary fat composition and that's a little bit more nuanced than just saying like get rid of saturated fat as some people will say or like increase your polyunsaturated fat unlimited you know or again increase your monounsaturated fat it's a nuanced discussion we need to get into it and fiber as well gary touched on that as earlier on there but also like sodium intake and like again there's a lot of things with regard to your your diet like again we mentioned inflammation as well so there are stuff like uh fruit and veg intake and again that could be related to potassium intake and again there's there's a lot that goes into actually making a healthful diet especially in the context of uh preventing or managing heart disease and um, i think there is potentially um, we could also then again put into this um another one which is just as i was saying on the the inflammation side of things there there are other inflammatory markers that we could use to potentially you know quantify that like c-reactive protein and um, but again it's, it's again it's a little bit more nuanced and then you it, you would potentially be led to believe and um, related to the obesity one i should also say that like high triglycerides are also uh, a potential risk factor and um, that's often seen in people with obesity it's again it's just a an energy flux issue like if you just have more energy availability you just by virtue of having more energy availability going to have higher triglycerides you know it's like overfeeding and not expecting you know blood glucose levels to increase you know like it is it is what it is and um, but again that is um a little bit more nuanced especially when you consider like gender yeah. role gender in the, the overall picture and um, but again we might just get into that in the in the next episode and um, the final two that i do want to touch on however well the final three first of all alcohol intake now this I, this is a bit of a contentious one because like this actually feeds into other areas in terms of like your especially the other two well, the one or the other ones that i'm going to touch on now which is sleep and um, but it also feeds into like how much calories you're consuming in a day and the overall healthfulness of your diet blood pressure you know all that kind of stuff like if you're somebody who regularly drinks you know two beers every single night and um, 
you know, there, there's probably a reason why you do that. And maybe it's stress, which is like the other one that I'm, I'm going to touch on here in a second. Um, but again, like you, have, you can't just look at things in isolation. You have to look at them in terms of the context in which they are actually consumed and the context in which the, the, the culture and all that kind of stuff informs that decision. Um, but again, we'll get into that potentially in the next episode and the next episode. <laughs> um, but anyway, the final two is sleep. Um, again, this is related to inflammation, is related to you know, body composition is related to all those things. Sleep is just this big hitter that, you know, pretty much if you type in any process in the body and type in sleep after it, uh, you'll find relations, you'll find, <laughs> find correlations between, you know, sleep quality, sleep quantity, and whatever process you're trying to, um, you know, research about. Um, and then again, as I touched on there a second ago, uh, stress as well. That's a, another big one in terms of heart disease risk um, to an extent as I said this is modifiable to some extent it's not modifiable like uh, some individuals are just not going to be able to manage their stress because well I don't know their loved one has cancer you know it's like <laughs> you can't really do it, a huge amount with that um, but obviously if you're just a, a, a normal individual we'll say um, has the, the normal archetypical just you know free living uh, life job kids whatever a mortgage it's like there is still stuff that you can do to manage your stress on a day-to-day -day perspective it's not just like well stress can be hard to deal with so i'm never going to deal with it and um, like you can't still deal with it anyway Gary, can you think of any other uh, risk factors or you know major hitter risk factors that we could potentially touch on because obviously like there's it's a multifactorial disease it's not like i don't expect us to cover every single subtle nuance especially not in you know maybe we'll do three episodes on uh, cardiovascular disease here or you know atherosclerosis like i don't think we're going to cover every single thing that you could potentially ever cover like there's entire journals like medical journals scientific journals dedicated to you know teasing out the little nuances and i just don't think we're going to cover that in like three to six hours of podcasting <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So like the the thing the thing I would say and you are you already said it, but I just want to reinforce it is that like like genetics and family history like plays a a really really significant role here, you know? So I mean, the reason I say that is because I said it in the blood pressure episodes as well that we often think uh, in our kind of sphere of the world where we're focused on training and nutrition. And, you know, a lot of it is like, I want to take ownership of what I'm doing. I'm going to, you know, prepare all my meals. Like I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll take these supplements or whatever. However, what ends up happening then is as soon as like a medical intervention is, is, is brought up, it's like, Oh no, I can't do that. Like that's not, that's not part of my identity. And I understand that because I, I've been there and I've kind of understood that thought process. But what I would say to you is that you could be doing, everything in accordance with what has been suggested for lifestyle and still have increased cardiovascular risk because of elevated LDL or blood pressure or whatever the risk factors you're dealing with. And the reality is that there are effective medical interventions available that your doctor can discuss with you. Um, and if you're not willing to avail of those, you are carrying that burden yourself. Like you are increasing your risk of dying younger, not seeing your grandkids having a stroke and you know being paralyzed on one side for a portion of your life or whatever and ultimately like that is something that is pretty significant when you do think about it so what i would say is that you do have to kind of weigh up in your head am i more concerned about my identity as someone who doesn't want to take medications because big pharma or whatever or 
am I more concerned about my quality of life in the long term? And I think it would be difficult in a lot of cases to say that, you know, that, that medication and, and medical treatments do not play a role here because some of the interventions are like very effective and, and you do see that. And although, although when you look at, you know, the trend of uh, cardiometabolic disease uh, over the last century or whatever, obviously the burden of disease has been increasing like the, like deaths from myocardial infarction from, from heart attack and from stroke, et cetera, like, the medical interventions are improving outcomes um, in terms of, you know, delaying people having and having events. Um, you know, I know my own anecdote is my grandfather had a really significant heart attack when he was, when he was sick, when he was about 60. And since then, 25 years later, like he hasn't had another issue with his heart at all. And that like, obviously you can just say that's randomness, but he's been very adherent with his medication and all that all along. He's just been just on the path. And those things do really, uh, play a role, and I think uh, you just have to so basically let your you let your identity take a little bit of a hit, the ego take a little bit of a hit, and say, you know, I might need a little bit of help sometimes. Hundred percent. But first of all, you get that big pharma check because you're in medical school, so we can't actually <laughs> a single word you say. Um, so just everyone listening, just remember he is actually being paid by big pharma. Um, what about big broccoli, bro? I know I saw that check when I was in your house. Yeah, okay, well, they pay me, but that's a completely different story. Um, actually, it's the beef industry that pay me. Um, but anyway, um, <clears throat> what was I going to say? Um, yeah, th- this is something that guys especially just are yeah. woeful at, like actually just you know going to the doctor and you know actually looking after themselves. And I don't even mean just like you know the average Joe on the street. I mean people that you know are supposedly interested in their you know health and fitness stuff. They're like, yeah, I know this is important to manage my heart disease and blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, I'm not going to go to the doctor. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, you know, if there is a reason for you to believe or, you know, you are worried about it. Again, you look at your family history, you look at your genetics and it's like, all right, all the men in my family seem to have died at 55 from heart attacks and I'm 25. And maybe it's something that I should be fucking thinking about. And maybe it is something that you do go consult with your, your GP or whatever. And, you know, maybe it is something that you're like, all right, this is something that I'm concerned about. I'm actually going to get regular screening. I'm going to get regular like blood work just to ensure that, you know, I'm being preemptive. And then, you know, we're not one to generally be like, everyone needs to go get blood work and yeah. all this complex screening or whatever. But if you have reason to believe that you're like, you know, there, there is actually an increased risk in my family, you know? Again, it does. It doesn't hurt to just go out and get yourself tested, get a, a blood panel. Get I think they can do like you know calcium scores, and they can do whatever arterial stiffness scores and whatever. And um, you know more about that stuff than than I do. Well, hopefully, because you are getting that big pharma check. Um, <laughs> but uh, like there are stuff that you can you know medically intervene or just medically look at you know in a in a preventative context. But then obviously, as Gary was saying there, like there are interventions that can be utilized very effectively, you know? Um, And obviously you want to be in a situation where you can live your best life, both uh, in terms of quality of life and quantity of life, you know? And again, like it gets a, especially like statin therapies, they get a bad rap because potentially you decrease uh, we'll say quality of life in some aspects. And what I mean by that, you might have like some some slight cognitive decline associated with them, or they can affect uh, stuff like you know boners, um, like uh, your 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 sex 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 life, I suppose. Um, but again, it it depends on the doses. It depends on the actual intervention. It depends on you know 
the what other stuff you're willing to modify and you know like it's not just like oh my my grandma took statins and uh he got dementia then it's like this is like they're, they're not it's not exactly uh cognitively uh, coherent to just suggest that those two things are you know that's the they're the reason you know um but again that is something that you're actually supposed to talk with your doctor about not two random lads on a podcast yeah absolutely like not going to to talk about <laughs> pharmacology on the podcast but but as as a brief soundbite most of the information on the internet from people trying to say that you shouldn't take statins, statins are so bad for you is absolutely uh, so ridiculous when you look at the evidence. Um, so the, the, yeah, I'm not going to say anything else about that other than don't listen to us, but also don't listen to other lunatics on the internet <laughs> trying to tell you that. We're lunatics. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Only treat us as relayers of information and absolutely do not take any sort of medical advice from us. Um, but yeah, basically like that is, that is something that is of concern because when you, when you go into popular bookshops or you look at popular uh, science books on things like statins. Uh, it's generally kind of conspiracy theory related stuff. And I hate calling things conspiracy theories because it kind of strengthens their argument at times because it's like, oh, well, look, you're a medical student and you've also been indoctrinated. And yeah, but uh, yeah, but yeah, just just remember, like there's there's hundreds and thousands of scientists <laughs> across the world <laughs> working on this stuff. And, and I, I don't think they're all... Um, getting those big massive big pharma checks but anyway definitely again. also it's not an either or <laughs> argument it doesn't mean that you have to you know if you're willing to do all these other interventions and be like yeah actually you know i have a reason to go on statins but you know i want to try x y and z first of all and you're willing to do that again that's something you discuss with your doctor it also doesn't mean that you have to be on statins for the rest of your life in like higher doses or whatever again that's something that you can discuss with your doctor because they are the person you should be discussing this stuff with not Gary who gets that big pharma check, but isn't actually a doctor yet. Yeah. Basically we have information that we could relate to you now, but just wait three or four years and then I'll feel comfortable that, <laughs> that I can say it. And in the meantime, as we've discussed on previous podcasts, whenever you get any information, just treat the relayer of that information as if they could be <laughs> Right? You don't know. You don't know me. You don't, you don't know, know Gary. You don't know what the fuck our beliefs are. You don't know what crazy thoughts run across my mind or Gary's mind or, you know, what you, you don't know us basically. Right. So treat every bit of information with a degree of skepticism and go, Hmm, that was an interesting point that they brought up. That was an interesting point that they brought up. That wasn't something I was aware of. I'm going to look a little bit deeper into that myself and I'm going to trust these guys have, you know, generated a, an educated opinion in their opinion. Um, but I'm going to, you know, inform my own opinion and thoughts on this. And again, join the, the, the group and join the discussion on this because we'll be happy to discuss this further if there are certain points you're unsure of or perhaps we didn't explain them uh, as well as we could have or, you know, again you want a diagram or something like that you know again we're, we're more than happy to do that in our in our facebook group and um, even if you have a completely dissenting opinion you're just like i don't believe this at all like i welcome that i'd rather i had people that were willing to put forward their arguments and ideas in a cohesive manner and you know better inform my opinion then you know um so 
100% joined the group, um, if you haven't already. Anyway, guys, is there anything else you want to discuss in relation to atherosclerosis? Because I think that covers everything we need to cover to actually start digging into stuff that people can actually take control of or at least start thinking about taking control of. Because again, this is something that you can make some very easy interventions and reap a lot of reward just once you're just looking in the right direction. You know, um, and a lot of it obviously does go hand in hand with other stuff that potentially people would be interested in actually doing, such as, you know, managing their body composition. People, excuse me, people listening to this are, you know, maybe interested in that already. So if I say like, oh yeah, insulin resistance, diabetes, overweight, obesity, that's all, uh, you know, uh, implicated in this atherosclerosis risk factors. And people are like, yeah, I can get on board with that. I can manage my uh, my body weight. I can manage my body composition. So there are obviously you know, crossovers between what people are doing and what people want to do and actually being healthful or having healthful practices. Um, but is there anything else you want to just touch on before we just, well, before you just wrap this up? No, I would just say in summary, um, like atherosclerosis, the process itself and the end events that it can potentially lead to is something we should all concern ourselves with um, and ask ourselves uh, what risk factors we could potentially adjust. Um, LDL cholesterol is one that is heavily implicated within that um, and the body of evidence to suggest that that is not only something that's uh, really, really, really important um, in the causal development of atherosclerosis, but also that when it is modified, whether that be through drugs or nutrition, that it leads to a reduction in, in events, which is really important. Um, the body of evidence for all that stuff is overwhelming and is converging, meaning that it comes from many different sources. So this is not just a case of epidemiology just kind of observing from the top and saying oh look these people have ldl i wonder uh, why they're having heart attacks like this is like randomized control trial stuff um whether it be the nutrition or the drug side of things you've got I mean, mechanistic evidence lab evidence you've got um Men mendelian randomization studies which basically relates to um your genetics essentially that, that that's basically what they're kind of trying to assess there and when you have diseases that basically increase your ldl cholesterol whether that be due to mutations in the ldl receptor or other mutations um you do see these people have massively increased um, cardiovascular events even very early in life. So overall, you know, this is definitely something that you should be concerned with. Um, and yeah, basically the lipoprotein stuff, as we said, good and bad cholesterol is something that is, you know, it's, it's a kind of a, a heuristic that's there to think about that's useful, but it doesn't, it absolutely doesn't tell the whole story. Um, remember the ApoB containing lipoproteins are the ones that are important. Uh, that's generally thought of in terms of right you know ldl is what we're talking about but it's also other uh, proteins remnant lipoproteins intermediate intermediate density lipoproteins etc hdl typically thought of as kind of good cholesterol but again more complicated story than uh, is later is, is generally thought of um and then finally i suppose that although um, lifestyle can play a significant role here. There are genetic factors that you cannot necessarily change. So while you should be trying to uh, not drink excess alcohol, not smoke, you know, manage your diet in such a way that it has a healthful diet pattern, which we'll discuss in the next episode, exercise plenty, uh, have appropriate body composition, etc. Um, all of those things are really important. But even at that, there may still be excess risk that could potentially be addressed by your doctor. And most importantly, 
you don't have to just take all the information and try weigh it up in this massive spider web and be like, oh my God, how am I going to deal with this? You go to your doctor and they do a, an, an assessment. They t- t- take your bloods or whatever, and they can say, hey, look, Patty, it looks like this is really high. This is something that actually confers increased cardiovascular risk. So maybe it's the case that we might want to address that. What do you think? You know, so that, that's why it's important to actually see a doctor and not try to just manage all this stuff yourself if you are someone who is at, at increased risk, you know. So yeah, that, that's basically it. So, so yeah, guys, as, as we said, this is the intent of this podcast was to try to relay a foundational understanding um, of atherosclerosis and its role in cardiovascular disease, along with some basic kind of lipidology concepts. These areas of interest are things that people specialize in and not just specialize in, but they might specialize in a subspecialty of these areas. So not only might someone be interested in lipids, they might be interested in just studying HDL. So the point there being that this stuff does go uh, really, really deep. It's complicated. There are many different things at play. Um, And when all these risk factors come together, they can be difficult to understand. So just recognize there is a lot more to it. So in the next podcast, we will touch on uh, the nutrition side of things. We'll discuss what moves the needle with nutrition um, in terms of like, what does a, a good diet pattern look like? And also what of the lipidology stuff that we discussed today, what are we actually modifying by changing our diet? Because that gives you a good insight into the foundational stuff that we discussed today and why nutrition actually plays a role there. Um, because obviously it's not just a case of changing one thing. It's the, it's the blood pressure, it's the LDL, it's the overall cholesterol, it's insulin resistance, etc. So that's why looking at a diet pattern um, and how that interacts with your physiology, you know, for example, are you over or under eating calories? You know, that's a, a very basic question, but it's important. That's why those things become important. So with that said, if you'd like to find out more about atherosclerosis, as I said, I will post some uh, papers, videos, and different things like that into the triage method community. That's our Facebook group. So if you're listening to this podcast, it's a, it's Monday and um, we'll post the podcast in there and I'll drop the, the papers and stuff uh, into that post as well. Um, so join that group. It's open access. And uh, often when we share podcasts or we share different resources, we will add additional information into the group that doesn't go on other platforms. So if you follow us on Instagram, the thing I hate about Instagram is if I want to share a paper with someone, I have to send like screenshots of it or send a link and hope that they can read out the link because you can't link things. So that's why you should join the, the Facebook group. Um, along with that, you should join the triage method newsletter. Um, again, given, given that it's the topic of the podcast, I'll probably focus on providing recommended resources that are maybe in line with this topic so that you can kind of uh, read up some more if you'd like. So if you're not on the newsletter, do subscribe to the newsletter down below. And basically that's us providing you with uh, information that's taken from our coaches corner, which we'll discuss in a moment, but also uh, all the content we've produced throughout the week and other recommended resources from around the internet. Um, and then you can, you can pre-register your interest for the coaches corner. If you're interested in that service and the coaches corner, as we've mentioned in the last few episodes is basically a membership site that we're launching later this summer. Um, we're working a lot on it at the moment and that's basically dedicated to trying to provide coaches uh, with the resources uh, in terms of education and actual tools to be able to do a better job with their clients. So whether that be 
being able to translate basic anatomy information into exercise or physiology information to exercise prescription um, or the background nutrition stuff. You know, how do you actually start to think of, you know, you're not just thinking about foods. How do you actually change things for your clients? When do you change things for your clients? Different case studies, trying to put that stuff into practice. That's all going to be in the coach's corner. So if you'd like to pre-register your interest, you can do so in the link in the description. You'll be added to an email list. We won't be emailing you, but basically we will uh, in advance of the launch just to offer you a discount so that you'll basically be uh, able to get it for much cheaper. Um, so that's worth your while. There's no commitment there. You just subscribe to the, to the list and that's about it. Um, other than that, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, Patty posted a video yesterday on the minimum Last commitments. Oh yeah, sorry. Last week on um, on a very interesting topic, which all of you are going to be very interested in. So you should be on the YouTube channel. You should be subscribed so that you can keep up. And um, we also post a podcast there. So if you'd like to see my new haircut, then it would be highly advised that you uh, subscribe on YouTube and watch the podcast on YouTube. Um, and you can obviously like the page on Facebook. But what I would say is just join the Facebook group. That's the best place to get us in general. And also like our, what'd you say? Or do both. Or do both. And also follow us on Instagram because we are posting some more original content on Instagram as requested by people within the Facebook group because people do use Instagram quite a lot. So we're going to share more stuff there. So triage method on Instagram if you are interested. Oh, and we have online coaching spaces available. If you're interested in that, get involved. Yes. I have nothing else to add, Gary. That was a, a beautiful episode. Um... Well, I hope everyone thought that anyway. Um, do you have any final parting words? Any thoughts? No, that's about it. It's yeah, too easy. It literally is too easy.